The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Kay Rubicek, who has a unique and personal perspective on the topic of socialism and its tactics. Kay's family has escaped communism not once, not twice, but three times, giving her a deep understanding of the inner workings of socialist systems and the tactics used by its strategists. She has spent two decades researching and studying original documents to gain a thorough understanding of the topic. We'll discuss the impact of socialist tactics on our education system, economy, and society, and how it's affecting our freedom and independence. We will also be hearing about the common themes and experiences shared by survivors of socialist tyranny and the motivations behind the actions of officials who carried out socialist crimes for their regimes. Kay will be sharing with us some of the most surprising and eye-opening information he has come across, such as the long-term plan of socialist strategists, the concept of softening as a tactic to mentally condition individuals, the shift towards nonviolent tactics, and the role of technology and social changes in the evolution of socialist tactics. Kay is an expert on socialist tactics who has recently released a book, Who Are China's Walking Dead? A personal journey into the strange world of communist culture and officialdom. She has a unique perspective on the topic of socialism, having experienced its effects firsthand through her family's multiple escapes from communism. We will be discussing the current state of socialism in America, the role of big government, big tech, and big corporations, in colluding with media outlets to push socialist agendas, the trend of powerful lobby groups monopolizing industries, and how regular citizens can effectively combat these tactics without becoming like them. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time listening, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy. Get a 15-day free trial of FLFE today. We also have rebounders, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Veritas and Sanitas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. And without further ado, I'd like to welcome Kay Rubicek. Hello, Kay from New York. How are you? I am very well. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for that wonderful introduction, too. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Kay, for years I've been discussing this topic. But as the host of this program, I don't like to talk about myself. But on many occasions, I've mentioned how my family escaped communism twice. And especially my parents who fled Cuba back to Spain. And now we're here in the United States. And my father, who passed away many years ago, used to tell me every day, and I used to laugh thinking, what are you thinking? When he used to tell me, you take this for granted, don't you? One day, you might just realize that you have nowhere else to go to. And I found you a few months ago on the internet, and I could not stop watching your interviews. I said, I have to bring Kate on, and here you are, Kate. Thank you. It is so true. The more I have been telling my story, more people have said, I have that story too. And that's 
my story, my family's story is maybe not that unique. Okay, sure, three times we've escaped and I I have myself spent a, a day in a Chinese prison, but so many people say to me, especially here in America, when they think about it, their family escaped communism too. So many people. And perhaps what is somewhat unique about my story and similar to you is that we're actually talking about it. And I think that's where we can help others realize, look at their own history, learn from their own past, not just from ours, but also theirs. And I think that's something really special because when it connects to your own your own roots, then you start to see things a little bit differently. I, I hope at least, and I think I think we need to learn those lessons like what your father told you. Your family has had the unique experience to escape communism not once, twice, but three times. Can you tell us about your family's story and the motivations behind their decisions to leave each time? What were some of the challenges and obstacles they faced during each of these escapes? And why is it so important to share those stories in today's environment? I think one of the most important aspects to this about why it's so important, but just before I get into the 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 history of why they left is that each instance was different. So escaping from Russia in the 1920s, escaping from China in the 1950s, and escaping from the former Czechoslovakia in the 1980s. Communism, socialism all looked completely different at that time. There's there's the same thread that connects it all together, but and it's the same system. But on the surface, it looked different. And that's why I think it's so important that we look at it now. We look at the history instead of, you know, so many people say to me, if they haven't looked at the history, if they haven't seen those ties connecting all of these communist regimes together, they look at it now and they say, well, we're so beyond that. We're so past socialism. We're so past communism. Those are old things. We want new things. What they don't realize is that it's the old things that just masquerade as new things, but they also take new things, communist, socialist. And I, and I use those interchangeably because socialism is a stepping stone to communism. And that's all throughout the, uh, it's been consistently that way since the introduction of, of communism. And there's, there's different aspects to both, but they're essentially the same thing. That's why I often use the two to remind people that one isn't better than the other. They're two sides of the same coin. And whether you call it socialism, communism, or, or Marxism, that's the core root of these things, then, then you, re- you start to recognize that these things have the same core. But when my family escaped Russia in the 1920s, my great-grandparents had to escape I had two sides of the family. Both sides were in Russia, my my grandparents from my father's side and from my mother's side. But what they experienced was, well, one was religious. Uh, They were both quite religious, but, you know, one side of the family, they were business owners. Another side were, uh, we had priests. We had um, very religious, devout believers, but both were persecuted. So when the Bolsheviks took over Russia, with the help of the West, with the help of big bankers' money and Wall Street's money, when they took over, the the common people throughout Russia were were basically had to make a choice. Um, they have to become communist, and they have to. Well, some of them couldn't. If you're a religious believer, you. You, you could try and give up your faith, but they may not believe that you even gave up your faith. But my family was certainly not going to give up their faith. And business owners, uh, my family ran a, a flour mill. Um, 
they that was making bread for the for the community, their local town. Um, if they gave that up, who was going to make bread for them? And so because they were business owners, they were seen as landowners, as bourgeoisie, and they were seen as the enemy. But to the regular people, they were not the enemy. Um, one of my relatives, they were, were was running the flour mill and I've been told from family how he was protected by the local people. They kept hiding him so that he could still continue running the flour mill as soon as the authorities disappeared, but they would come back looking for him and the local people would hide him again because they knew he was not the enemy. But it got to a point where both of my both sides of my family had to have, had to flee and they didn't know each other at the time. They were in different towns. But my father's family, they escaped. It took five years for them to get from uh, the the western side of Russia, walk down through Mongolia. Uh, they were protected at sometimes by the Russian army. That the they were called the Whites at the time. They because the Whites were uh, still trying to protect the the old Russia, the Tsarist Russia, and the Reds, as they called them at the time, were the communists and and those who took over and they they wanted blood. Um, so my my family at the time, communism then. Lenin had said, hang bodies from the trees, hang them in the streets, let people see, see the death and fear me. And those are not exact words, but you can, you can see in Lenin's writing what he meant. And that's what my family saw. They saw bodies, dead bodies hanging from the trees in the forest as they were trying to escape. There was times when they didn't have uh, food on the journey or they had to eat raw meat because if they lit a fire, if they had flames, then the Red Army would come and find them and kill them. So it was life and death, absolutely life and death. Now, that was Russia in the 1920s. Then both sides of my family, a lot of Russians escaped to China. And then then there was a campaign years later where this, the Soviets, so now we still call them Russia, but Russia was divided at that point. The Russians, many Russians left. And the Russians who stayed became Soviets and the Soviets were communists. And so in there was Russian communities all throughout China, um, northeast China, one side of my family, Shanghai, another side of my family, different experiences. In northeast China, there was times when they just didn't have enough to eat, my father would tell me. And the Russians, the Soviets were trying to bring back uh, after a few, after a decade or two, they tried to bring the Russians back and they made promises, but they, they used communist tactics. And so I I won't go into the details of that, but what I've seen is that the same tactics are used to manipulate. Um, They use children, for example, they used uh, my, my uncle in, in, uh, in high school at the time in China was being told you have to grab your father by the beard and you drag him back to Soviet Russia. You must come back. But my grandfather said, there is no way we are going back because we are not Soviets. And they knew they would still be persecuted because they, they were religious believers and they knew that communism was evil. They then escaped to Australia, cut that short story short. They were very fortunate to have sponsors. Both sides of my family found freedom in Australia. But my my husband's family, so they were, uh, he was born and raised in the former Czechoslovakia while the Berlin Wall was still up. And his father didn't want to be a communist, but his grandfather, his father's father was, and he was high ranking in the party. 
in Czechoslovakia at the time, they saw the Soviet tanks roll in and take over their country. And my father-in-law, um, he was he was very clear that he did not want to follow the communists. And they got to a point, they kept getting more and more political pressure on the family. And they got to a point where they decided they needed to leave. That was that they needed to have safety and protect their three children, my, my husband being one of them. And they spent six months in a uh, refugee camp in Yugoslavia. They didn't know if they would be sent back to Czechoslovakia or not. If they if they w- were sent back, they absolutely would have been sent to prison. Another life and death situation and another situation where freedom is taken away and a country becomes politicised. In every every each of these situations, you see the same patterns, the same core values of socialists and communists taking place and being used, but the technology changes, the methods adjust according to the society of that particular nation. And then they also found freedom in Australia, which is where I I met my husband and we we were married. Years later, I was in uh, China and I spent a day in a Chinese prison because I broke no law. I knew that, but I was arrested and detained because I held a banner on Tiananmen Square that had three words on it, truth, compassion, and tolerance. And I was holding the word compassion as they arrested me. And I was just shocked that they told me those three words are illegal in China. I was arrested for holding the word compassion in a public place. I broke no law, but for that, I witnessed propaganda creation by the regime firsthand. The same tools and tactics that had been used against my family over three generations, three different countries, and just seeing it face-to-face with these officials. You know, I I saw and interacted with maybe close to 100 police over the period of 23 hours, and how they treated me and and, uh, and the the people I was with was just, um, it was brutal and it was disgusting. And they were also really, really quite brainwashed. Uh, they just really believed that compassion was illegal. Uh, they tried to tell me things like that the CIA paid for my ticket to go to China. <laughs> of, course. of course, right? And they tried to make me sign documents to say that that was true. Of course, those documents were all in Chinese. I wasn't going to sign a thing, even in English, let alone in a foreign language that I don't read. But, you know, I was an Australian citizen. I told them I'm an Australian citizen. I had a good job. My boss knew where I was. My family knew where I was. But for them, no, these police said, no, you definitely paid by the CIA to come here. That's their thinking, the brainwashing that the people of China, they've They've experienced much more than any of my family members because in China we see what happens with communism over 77 decades and each generation becomes more and more brainwashed over time, whereas my family had the real benefit, perhaps like your family, to be able to see what freedom or to know what freedom was like, experience freedom before communism. And then when communism came, they can actually say as your father as you mentioned earlier your father said this is not this is how it is he could say that because he knew what what freedom was and he saw the after effects of communism my family had the same thing three times three generations three different countries 
But in China today, those people that are being born generation after generation, they don't know anything else. This is all they know. So for them to say compassion is illegal, to us it says we think that makes no sense and there must be some underlying reason. You must have done something wrong, right? But for them, that's normal because they believe everything the government tells them from kindergarten, even earlier, to the grave. So we can see such a a different example in countries like that where communist ideology has been allowed to to fester and, and, and pervert the mind for decades. And that's that's where I've put a lot of my research on in these past years is into how how can they be so cruel? How can they be so twisted? And that's what led me to writing my book, Who Are China's Walking Dead? And being able to use that um, opportunity to bring together and, and understand my own history and before it's too late, because a lot of my relatives um, who who lived during that time, they've passed. And there's few people that I can actually ask for firsthand accounts now. And, and I realize that I've, I lost an opportunity with some of them early on because I didn't pay attention. I didn't ask the right questions at the right time, but it's not too late. So, um, I'm, I'm taking advantage of that now while I still can, because I think we must learn from this history because it's repeating. It's absolutely repeating here, uh, in the U.S. and in other, in other parts of the world, but. The U.S. is the is the beacon of hope that people around the world look to as a as a beacon of freedom. So the last bastion, the last bastion, and we have many listeners in Australia who tell me all the time, "If you guys go, we go." And I'm afraid for my friends, so my brothers and sisters in Australia. Well, yesterday we found New Zealand. The prime minister stepped down, all emotional, and I wonder why. But, you know, most people here in the United States, when you talk about communism, especially the ones on the left, they tell you, well, it hasn't been implemented correctly. And you went to China. You had a banner that said truth, compassion, and tolerance. And we've discussed the Falun Dafa here many times. If I had been me, I wouldn't have been only with the truth, compassion, tolerance. I would have said, stop the live organ harvesting of Falun Dafa. Well, at the time, I went in 2001, and that was before we even knew about live organ harvesting. And uh, and just the fact, I, 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 you know, I really thought I was so naive and ignorant at the time, even though I'd been studying the regime, even though I'd, I thought I knew something about the evils of communism. The fact that that banner simply said truth, compassion, and tolerance in English and in Chinese and then I was arrested for that. It just says so much. But yes, since then, um, we did. We have find, found out about the organ harvesting, and uh, it's it's just shocking. And that's really I was so upset when I first heard learned about that crime. It was two thousand and six when I first learned about it, and um, I did make a documentary movie about it, and I do mention that in my book too, because just that crime. How could people do that? And we're talking about not just organ transplantation where it's it's done for the benefit of the patient with the agreement of the donor we're talking where as as you as you'd be aware is these people are often had their having their organs taken out while they're still alive in the removal that kills them with a paralyzer and no anesthesia absolutely it is so cruel it is so cruel and that's where things end up that's that's the, the this utopia of communism 
is all forms of cruelty, all forms of despotic nature. And Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.